0: Today on episode 152 of the Lynch Leader podcast, we sit down with podcaster, author, speaker, pastor, Steve Carter, and we talk about exactly that. Not only his newest book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, but also about the leadership journey he has been on in his life, which has been amazing. From going where all he's been to one of America's largest churches to really reinventing himself. And I tell you what, man, you are going to learn so much from Steve. He is an absolute breath of fresh air. His podcast, Crafting Character, if you are a pastor and you are tuning in today, it is a must listen, where he sits down with great speakers and pastors and gets the character behind them and the craft of how they do it. It's so good. Well, today we're going to dive in to leadership. We're going to dive into Steve's journey. We're going to talk about how he uses his life to help others found their lives. And I tell you what, it's going to be a blessing. So, I don't know where you're listening from today. I don't know how you found your way to us today, but you're going to be blessed. So I want you to pull out something to write with. I want you to pull out something to type on. And I want you to listen to my conversation with Steve Carter. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch for the Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Mike, thanks so much, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Well, you know it's it's great because I, I I feel like I know you a little bit through podcasts and some other things you've done. But a lot of the people listening in may not know. Take us back in your journey. You you your your most recent book is about the things that are beneath the things behind Steve Carter. There's a story, and there's a story of who you are and what's gotten you to today so take us a little back to growing up and a little bit of that process of becoming the person you are today
1: yeah great um I mean I think similar to you I I just grew up like as an athlete um I was a just a feisty kid you know tiny but just wanted to get on the court, you know, and basketball was my love language. And, um, I, I played and, and part of, part of the reason basketball was so important to me, there was a book by Mitch album. He wrote, uh, called the fab five. It was yep. about the five freshmen who went to the university of Michigan. I'm the biggest Michigan fan you'll ever know, but I read that like in sixth grade and I had been adopted. Uh, my biological father had, had was gone uh, out of my life. And, uh, I'd always wondered about Chuck my name when I was born was Stephen Charles Bourne. Um, not like Jason Bourne, which would have been awesome, but <laughs> Stephen Charles Bourne. Um, and Charles was my biological father's name. Uh, he leaves, my mom remarries, I get adopted and I changed my middle name and my last name. Um, but I was reading about these five freshmen, you know, Jimmy King, Ray Jackson, Juan Howard, Chris Weber, and Jalen Rose. And Jalen Rose never knew his dad. And the first time he met his uh, his father saw him, not met him First time his father saw him Was when he was in the national championship And his dad was working out at a YMCA And an Album writes about How a buddy of Jalen Rose's dad goes That kid is smooth like you, Jimmy mm. He looks like you And he goes I think I've heard I had a kid out there I think that's him And, and I always have like Now look back As like a sixth grader reading that And Kids are very perceptive. They're just not always the best interpreters of reality. And I perceive that if I play basketball, Chuck's going to find me. And man, I'll tell you, I was that kid who was up at 5 a.m. I was working out at the park. I was doing defensive drills at the park. I just was a driven kid. Sure, achievement, three on the Enneagram. But more than anything, it was... I wanted to meet Chuck and, mm-hmm. and that got me a scholarship. I ended up, uh, playing at a Christian school, uh, but then, uh, ended up walking on it at a D one college in Cal state Fullerton. And, um, and in all the while, like going through this journey of playing faith was kind of like on the side. I didn't grow up in a Christian home um, around that time of reading that Mitch album book. Uh, the next year, there were two juniors in high school. I was a seventh grader. Uh, they took a liking to me. Their names were Dominic and Nathan, but they went by the name Dominate, which is That's just awesome. So good. <laughs> and and I just remember I, I, they were the so first good. the first Jesus people I saw. They like sports. They were good leaders. And Dominic came up to me one day and said, hey, Carter, do you want to learn how to dominate life? And he, he and Nate just started discipling me, mm. taking me in to In-N-Out, which is, you know, it's where the Shekinah glory descends <laughs> in burgerly form. But like, it's like the best hamburgers and they would just, they taught me and and six months later, I'm getting baptized, but I didn't know how to merge those yep. two realities, sports and faith, sports was life, faith was supposed to be life. I didn't know how to like get out in front of it and literally like have my faith lead the way. And it wasn't until like, you get to the end of your rope and you realize as a 5'11 white kid with no jump shot, I, Chuck's not finding me. Yep. We're not, we're not making it to the tournament. I'm not making it to the final four like this. And, and so all of these things start kind of starting to crumble down and little by little, um, people saw leadership gifts in me. People saw, uh, I had an, uh, a gift of speaking and teaching. And, and so just little by little, it kind of, uh, and some amazing coaches and mentors in my life led me to stepping into the ministry and, i've been at a few incredible churches that almost are like alma maters to me. And yep. I've had a,
0: had a, I've had a, a pretty good ride for the most part. What about how you grew up shaped you for who you are today? I mean, you look at you—you you look at what you went through. It's not every kid goes through that, you know. You walked—you walked you a walked journey of searching for your adopted dad. Later on, you end up searching for your adopted dad, uh, your real dad, and you're you're raised by your adopted dad. What about that shaped you for where you're at today? What do you think are some of the lessons you picked up? almost didn't even mean to pick them up that shaped you for who you are today and what you're going through? Well, I think it's
1: for better and for worse, right? You know, every, every strength has a shadow. Mm -hmm. And I I think I was an only child. So my mom with her new husband, my adopted dad, who I consider my dad, uh, he was amazing, uh, in so many ways, but he, he and my mom, they had six miscarriages. Um, they were both hard workers. So they were gone at like 5 30 a.m. So they're they're gone. Um, I'm home alone. Um and before my dad knew Christ, uh, I always would say he he said three things to me something funny, something wise, or he was cussing me out. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to read a room um because I had to for my own survival for my dad. I'd or like he was going to yell at me um I, I i learned how to like navigate um and lead up mm, mm. i learned that you know and again it's like i perceive that oh man chuck left because of me um or i interpreted that yeah. which isn't true but i i think i learned an achievement you better work so hard and you better perform so good so that people don't leave which mm. i've actually had to undo yeah. um in this season but like for so often nobody was going to outwork me nobody was going to you know i might not be the best player on the court or on the team or in the classroom but man i was going to work because there was something connected to loss if i didn't and I and grace had to really break in and 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 help me so um i think i learned a great work ethic i think i learned how to like read a room i think i learned how to push myself And I think I violated some
0: pieces thinking that it's all about performance and it's all about hard work. So when I think for every athlete struggles with that part of it, I think every former athlete, because you get on the court and you get on the baseball field, not because they like you, you get on there because you're performing and you ride the bench because you're not performing. I mean, it is that whole thing. And Grace, what was the hardest? So you, you Dominic and Nate, man, they they come into your life in the perfect season. How long did it take you? And I love that grace piece. How long did it take you to get the grace piece? Man, this is a free gift. There's nothing you're working for. Just enjoy it. You're not having to earn it. How long was it for you in that?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, first conversion was like six months. You know, I get baptized after they disciple me. I still didn't get it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I read a Dallas Willard quote where Dallas says Grace is opposed to earning, but never opposed to effort. So that, like so, what it did was it it helped me understand that the beauty of the effort that when I would get up early and I would work on my shot or work on my left hand or I'd I'd watch and cut film, like that's effort. Yep. But I can't earn this. I could earn a position on the field, on the court. I could earn, but like the effort to get grace into every molecule an atom an ounce of my being to understand that like there's nothing i can do to earn this Mm -hmm. but the effort it takes to have as like john wesley will will call it that sanctifying grace the grace that makes us whole and holy and spiritually healthy and that 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 has to get into every atom of my being and so there's effort to that which was helpful for me as an athlete because you're right i mean uh (laughs) One of my favorite quotes recently is Steve Kerr was asked, uh, you know, who are the who are the most competitive people you've ever been around? He said, oh, it's easy. Michael Jordan and Steph Curry. And he says, but the the thing about it is that they are wildly different because they're motivated by something different. Mm -hmm. Jordan Mm -hmm. was motivated by anger because he could channel and create stories to literally like see everything as a villain to Mm -hmm. his grand story. But Steph Curry is motivated by joy. He gets to do this, and he plays from a place of "I get to do this." And I just was raised on Jordan, so mm-hmm. part of it mm-hmm. is you could step into the church world and you can create villains. You That's could step right. into you could step into a team and 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 see competition. You can, you know what I mean. And and I think learning, man, I get to do this. I get to walk in grace. I get to step out in front and lead. I get, I get to, I'm trying to have a little less Jordan, a little more curry in me.
0: (laughs) So well said, well said, that's in the gospels, man. That's right. That's good stuff. That is solid. So you, you moved to Michigan with your family. Great story. Your mom and dad, they get saved. Your mom and stepdad, they get saved. They- moved to Michigan, you end up going, you get connected with this new church, Mars Hill, that's forming up there with a, a, a unknown guy at the time, Rob Bell, and you really began to cut your teeth in big church ministry while there. When you were at that point, what did you perceive your journey would be like? You know, you're 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 an athlete, you're a performer, you're an achiever. And now you're training up in one of the America's highest flying churches at that point. What did you perceive was going to be Steve Carter's career? Yeah, well, you know, so I I was a sophomore. I was a backup
1: point guard at Cal State Fullerton. And when my, my parents get saved. My, my mom got saved like a couple of years earlier, but my dad got saved on my 19th birthday and I got to baptize him. And he comes out of the waters and he feels called to go restore a relationship with his folks in Grand Rapids. So we move, he sells everything, sells out of his company. He, we moved to Grand Rapids and I'm thinking I'm just there six, nine months, get yep. them set. I'll, I went to a JC, Grand Rapids Community College. I'll go hoop there and then maybe like try and walk on, keep playing. I was a film major at that time. Hmm. And that's right when Mars Hill's getting started. I show up there and I get turned away the first three weekends by a fire marshal. Cause there's too many people meeting there. I have to sneak in the first time. First time I walk in there, the pastor is some quirky dude, bleach blonde hair. And he's like, Hey, turn with me to Leviticus chapter eight. And they are walking through chapter by chapter through the book of Leviticus. And there's 3000 people in the room. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> so, um, but it was during that time is when God was really saying, Hey, you have this gift, mm. you could do this. And what I watched with Rob, um, it, it was in a very, very Christian reform that when I got there, coming from Southern California, they didn't do anything on Sundays. There, there were there was a lot of stuff that was shut down on Sundays. And Rob was like this this prophetic voice for uh this area. And I just remember going. Dude, this is, I want to do this. Mm. And, and so I went back to California and went to Bible college. Rob invites me to be his intern. I live in his basement for the 2002, 2003. And I, I think I just started on and I was going to go because Rob had told me, come be my disciple. I'll teach you everything I know. uh Come live in my basement and let's change the world one West Michigan at a time. And I just thought, man, well, I'll, I'll go set up shop, maybe in Ann Arbor, or I'll go somewhere. We'll do what we're doing. I'll teach Leviticus. Like let's, <laughs> let's point people to the kingdom of God, you know? So that, I think that was the That's the good. idea had no ness no real idea. It just was like, Hey, that all I can see is the next step. And, and I'm taking that step of faith and seeing where it goes.
0: You know, we use a phrase on here all the time. I heard it from a great Bible teacher uh, named Ron Dunn. God never waste our time and he never waste our experiences. And I believe that all, all good or bad. What, what about that time with Rob and at Mars Hill seeing, what was it looking back you think you grew the most in as a leader, as a person, as a follower of Christ? How did God use that experience in shaping you while you were at Mars Hill? Yeah, well, I mean, people people can have all their their takes on Rob, you
1: know, and and, and I know it because I hear it all the time. But I'll tell you this, the dude was Kobe Bryant when oh, yeah. it came to study. Like he, he was, he made the gift look so easy, Mm. but he worked and he was a master at his craft. I just saw, I saw the discipline, uh, to maximize your, your gift. Aiden Hutchinson, the great defensive end runner up for the Heisman trophy. When he walked into the, the weight room this year at the university of Michigan, he looked at a strength coach and says, ring me out every day. Mm-hmm. ring me out that's how rob approached the text ring me out god ring me out teach me everything i need to push me everywhere i need to so that i can give this away it was amazing second thing i would say that i learned was it it was a compelling why at the beginning of Marcel, i in simon cynic language start with why yep. it was a compelling why I understood why the church was supposed to exist. I understood she's beautiful. She's radiant. I understood the kingdom of God. I understood the Jewish roots. I understood the message of Christ and why we needed to gather. No other time, no other church, no other place had taught me such a compelling why. And and that, that shaped me. From there, though, I went to Rock Harbor in Costa Mesa, California. And Rock Harbor was really started um, out of a high school ministry, um, but really influenced by a lot of John Wimber disciples who started the Vineyard Movement. And what I always say is at Rock Harbor, I learned a compelling how. Mm -hmm. I learned about the Holy Spirit. Um, And so what was amazing was I saw the power of response Um, helping people hear from God. So my first two places, by the time I'm 30, I have a compelling why, I have a compelling how, but I had never really been in a leadership culture. And from there, I get introduced to, um, well, invited to join the staff of of Willow Creek and work closely with Bill Hybels, the founder, and and at that time was known as like the leader within the local church. And I learned a compelling what. Mm. And so like, I just feel like, you know, at 42 now, um, I have had the privilege to literally learn from some incredible greats, um, but to really learn a compelling why, a compelling how, a compelling what, and also what not to do. But like, I saw so much good.
0: You really did. And I mean, to even think, and I don't certainly don't know rock Harbor as well, but I've been in ministry since 91. It's when I came out of college and been in full-time ministry. And boy, when the NUMA videos hit out of Mars Hill, I mean, you're like, what is this? This is, I mean, nobody, nobody, they were, they were, they were Spotify when everybody else was cassettes. I mean, really, I mean, they were just so far ahead. And then even in the, the Willow world, you know, every, every pastor in America got defining moments, everybody. I mean, it was, yeah, John Maxwell, enjoy life club. And you had the CDs from, from Willow and they were, they were everything you, you arrive at Willow. And now you've been poured into by Rob poured into at rock Harbor. Now you've been poured into by Bill Hybels, one of the greats, As you look back now, and we won't get into all the the mess because everybody on here will know or need to know, but as you look back now, are you glad you went or do you say, God, I wish I'd have just stayed in Costa Mesa. I wish I'd have gone back to Grand Rapids. Um, Looking back now, the rearview mirror, you've seen the damage and the fallout of all that. What, What would you say?
1: Yeah. I am actually really grateful. I went, I mean, I think I learned so much. I'm still learning from it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and just, just in short, if, if you're, if you're listening is my mentor, um, allegations came up in, in March of 2018, stuff I didn't know about. Um, and they ended up being true. And, um, I ended up stepping out to side with the women. You can Google all this, but, uh, for six years and I, I got an MBA, Mm -hmm. learning from, from Bill. Um, but it wasn't, it was more than just learning from Bill. Like I fell in love with the congregation. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I fell in love with the people. And, and I think also in that time, like I grew Bill, Bill was like Nick Saban. I mean, you don't, you you don't, you don't go to Alabama to be best friends with Nick Saban, but you go to Alabama because it's going to prepare you for what's next and the dream that you have. And Bill, I mean, Mike, I'll tell you, uh and, and it was so funny. We live in a world right now where I can't even affirm Bill because right. it 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 frustrates people. Yep. Um and I I still am like, no, I'm going to because every time I stand in an auditorium, he's in the back of my mind for better wow. or for worse. I, I I see things. That transition could have been better. The lighting on that thing could have things he taught me. There were moments where he would say, Steve, bring me your computer. I'm like, oh, okay. I pull up my computer. He's like, Hey, put your last teaching on and he's like why when you are talking in the second move of your talk or probably he's like probably six seven minutes in do you say five words and then pause Mm. do you think it's cool do you not know what you're saying like what what or is there something i'm not aware of of what you're trying to do because you throw your pacing off this is how like invested he was in my development and growth and this dude was cutting my tape pushing me challenging me did he cross boundaries with me at times of course but like i look back and go as an athlete there was a lot of it that like no other no other leader had gotten that out of me um and and then i wish that there were moments where he told me the truth you know but like the i just have i've had to actually step back and go man, I wouldn't have had that development. Mm. I wouldn't have not have had to have my integrity pushed and challenged in, you know, West Point cadet prayer language. I wouldn't have had the, the opportunity to choose the harder right over the lesser wrong if I hadn't gone. So um, was it perfect? No. Was it close to perfect? A lot of days it was. Yeah. And was it heartbreaking? 100%. And the more that I learned, that's what a lot of life is like. And I think for me, it's as it is kind of leaving something and kind of entering into a literally desert season, realizing like, you can either waste the weight, you can hate the weight, or you can win the weight. And I'm just in a season of just like soaking up all the good from my alma maters from Mars Hill, Rock Harbor, uh, Willow, and others learning what I need to learn so it can, so God can like teach me what he needs to teach me for me the way he needs to form me so that I can be who he as a husband, father, pastor, friend leader, um, to whoever God puts in front of me moving forward.
0: That's a fantastic answer, Steve. And I, you know, as we live out this life, we don't know what we don't know. And then we, we enter those seasons and we learn, um, What have you learned about character and integrity? You know, that's a big thing to you. I've heard you talk about that's a conversation you have with your son. Um, That's something that's front of mind for you. There's a lot of leaders listening in on this call that go, man, I would never be the guy that would screw up. I would never be the, the lady that would make that mistake. What have you learned about character and integrity through this? You couldn't have learned any other way.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, for any of you listening, we probably all know who Dave Chappelle is, the, the comedian, he he signs a $50 million deal with Comedy Central, and it's season three, episode five. And he says a joke. And people laugh, but he doesn't think the laugh is as funny as people are laughing. Mm. And it he like, he freaks out. Because he's like, Oh, people only see me now for my money. They're all yes men. So he walks off set, pulls out his phone, calls his driver, driver picks him up. He's got a backpack, he's got a passport and he's like, where you wanna go? He goes, take me to the airport. Goes to the airport, walks into American Airlines. He goes, hey, I just wanna get as far away as possible. Like, where do you wanna go? I don't know, South Africa, perfect. The flight's leaving in three hours. He Googles, looks up, finds a monastery in South Africa. Ends up going to a monastery. People think he's like using, they think he's high, they think he's lost his mind. He's just trying to get some space, some Mm. actual headspace, goes to this monastery. He's there for a number of weeks. And like every celebrity who's trying to, you know, get back into good graces with culture, he finds himself on a couch with Oprah Winfrey. Oprah looks at him and and says, Dave, why did you do it? And I don't know how she does it. She looks into people's eyes. They start crying. And he tears up. Dave Chappelle tearing up. And he's like, stop looking at me, woman. You know, he keeps saying this. And, and then he says this line, he says, I'll tell you why because success can take you places that character cannot sustain you. And this is the problem. We have opportunity after opportunity where our talents, our gifts will provide us with success that far outpaces the woman or man we actually and truly are. And I'm not saying, you know, don't try to succeed. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm just saying, can your character outpace your success? Mm -hmm. And, and, and this is, this is why one of my favorite people on the planet leaders, like the best leader I've ever been around. His name is Mike Volkema. He was the former CEO of Herman Miller. He's like, and Jim Collins talking about like level 5 leaders. Yep. He's like, "Oh yeah, they totally exist. They're just typically like Fortune 1000 companies cuz yep. they want to be with their kids. They want to coach their kids soccer. They want to like they want to be in like actually helping out with the community." And you know, and and it hit me, man. It just it hit me how easy it is to work on the front-facing things that are going to lead to financial success reputation, image management, higher seat, level uh, you know, C-suite office, a bigger title. But what if we put that same effort into yep. our character? Into just learning peace? Into actually being able to choose the harder right, having mm-hmm. integrity? working on our past, working on our story. Because the problem is if Twitter has taught us anything, the truth will come out. Right. And, and Twitter comes for <laughs> everyone, <laughs> right? And it all catches up to That's you. Right. So, right. so either you can be humbled or you can choose to humble yourself and work on those areas. And again, look at Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods and people probably in their mind go, oh, he's going to use this as a time to talk about his path. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about his swing. Guy wins like the masters and he's like, my swing can be better. And he, and, and at the top of his game breaks down his entire swing and he comes back even stronger. I believe that same thing can happen when it comes to characteristics like patience or our story or shame or our past, because as the great leaders have said, what got us here won't take us there and get us there. And what's working now It doesn't mean it's going to work in three years. What was working in 2019 does not work during COVID. That's right. It all changed. So, so all that I would say is like, push, work hard, be everything you can be, ring it out, make yourself great. But first and foremost, focus on your character. Because that's going to make you the kind of leader, the kind of person, the kind of wife, husband, father, mother, friend that people actually want to be around, work for, and go after
0: greatness together with. What are some steps you've taken personally? So you, you've you had this time and you've called it a desert experience. I know where you've talked about, um, you know, you're not achieving your way out of this. You're going to grieve your way through it. That's a great line, Steve. What are some tangible things you've done as a man? Because you're still speaking. This is a, it didn't like you, you know, you, you got a big, a big walkout bonus. And like, a, like if we play professional sports, you left, you started, you started over. I mean, you went back out on your own and moved to a brand new city out in Phoenix. What are some things you've done tangibly to go? I am going to get, I may fail at a lot of things. I'm going to get this character thing right. What would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, I think
1: I think watching – I'm haunted by a memory, and the memory is the day that Bill resigned. Um, and you can say resigned. You can say forced out. You can say jump shit. Like, there's all – depending on who you talk about it, there, there's a number of different takes on this. And I was on stage to do the closing prayer after – he. After like he announces to this packed room, we're talking about like 7,200 seat auditorium, a hundred million dollar building, 895,000 square feet, just on one campus. Now there's seven campuses, almost a third of a billion dollars in assets. Okay. Like this, this is a landscape that was built out of a youth ministry 42 years earlier. Right. All right. So like, and this guy had been the leader. Uh, This guy had been known as like a good leader, someone worth following, one of the greats, you know, like they were saving his messages, believing a library was going to be made. You know what I mean? Like this, this was like they just there was belief about this guy's legacy that I believed. I Mm believe. Service is coming to a wrap. I close in prayer. And Bill and his family walk off stage. And I think they're going to go to the bullpen where all the pastors and families sit. And he just walks to the back of the office, walks out of the building, never to return again. And I remember standing on stage, watching this and going, he's never coming back. He mm-hmm. spent 42 years building something and it's gone. Now, I believe with repentance. I believe with open honesty and transparency. There could have been a way back. I believe that. But then I thought like, Oh my goodness, everything that you've worked for can be gone like that. So I, I found myself in the desert shortly after cause we lived like two minutes from Willow and, it just, it was hard. It was hard, like going into Starbucks and people thought I had done the right thing. People thought I had done the wrong thing by stepping out. And, um, people felt like I bailed on them. People said really, really hurtful things. Um, there was a line like on the staff that people would say is like, don't Carter me. Don't, don't abandon me. And so I, I, I held all this And so there was a little bit of like that, the athlete in me, that's like, screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong. There's a fleshly like sense that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get you all, which I had to, I had to wrestle to the ground. There was this sadness of, this was my dream job Mm, mm. in a city that I loved. I'm like working with the bears. I'm like, I had favor in the community. This was like, this was a. A beautiful story that's got hijacked and sabotaged by sin. And, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'd agree with that. But I think if the, the, the real thing I had to wrestle with is, what am I building that if it was taken away?
0: Mm.
1: M- let me say it this way. What am I building that if, that's not actually being built on the right foundation? that could be taken away mm, mm, that's good and 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 so it, it made me wrestle with the achievement stuff It made me wrestle with like the competition stuff it made it made me wrestle with my own personal like pain and struggle that i and story so i think like tangible stuff is i, I just kind of went on this internal journey um i've always been a not always but for like 20 years been in counseling but counseling spiritual direction um learning what to do with my my sadness and pain um and 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 then i just started to say kind of had like a couple values i said hey i'm gonna i'm gonna get well um our family's gonna get well i'm gonna make beautiful things and that became like this guiding principle what do i need to get well jesus went up to a man and said do you want to be well do you want to be well yeah i like, and i think sometimes we're like of course yeah of course i do of course i do but I'm going to keep drinking from the hose of workaholism or performance-based gospel or thinking I am what I look like or why I am what I drive or I am like what I wear. Like, do you want to get well? Well, it's going to take some work. And yeah. I got more, like, aware of my own addictive tendencies. I'm a workaholic. Yeah. And I had, to, I had to own that stuff. I had to really focus in on my family. I I didn't want their views of Christ to be co-opted by what happened at Willow. And so we had to work on that. And there's counseling there. And there was a lot of like trying to be intentional there. And then I wasn't going to let somebody else's sin or the way that was handled or managed or the way that um, the women's stories were pushed to the side and minimized. I wasn't going to let how that was handled get in the way with well, God had entrusted it to me. And, and, and so I just said, let's just start creating beautiful things. And so whether with a home team podcast, whether with preaching or writing the thing, a thing, or, you know, starting a podcast called craft and character, yep. like it's, it's been just, how do I help um, in the midst of the, a desert season? Cause typically what we do is in the desert, people just like escape for years and years and years. And then they come back. And yep. I just was like, no, like, in the real time, life is really messy. Life is really hard. Like, we don't we don't always get what, what we signed up for. Yep. But when that happens, how, how do you respond? There's a great ma- mathematical formula, leadership axiom. Jack Hanfield said it. E plus R equals O. Events plus response equals outcome. Every coach knows this. You yep. don't control the events. You only control your response. And how you choose to respond dictates what the outcome will be. And that was my whole hope is... How can I respond to this adversity and see an opportunity for God's grace, God's goodness, and God's
0: favor to prevail? That that is that is gold, absolute gold. Because everybody's got something, right? There, there. I mean, everybody. And you talk about it in the book. Everybody goes through pain of some sort. I, I heard Joni Erickson Tata on a podcast with Davey Blackburn. Um, Nothing is wasted. Podcast, great podcast, and. And she said, pain can introduce us to a Jesus we would have never known. And man, that is, it is so true. And it comes out in your teaching and crafting character is gold. I've got a lot of young staff guys, and that's a required listening for them because, listen, I want them to finish the journey, not just start the journey. I want them to finish it. I'm in the fourth quarter. They're all in the first quarter and I want them, I want them to do well. What did you, and and in the thing beneath the thing, you you talk a lot about identity in it. How much did you learn your identity had gotten into the wrong things, even doing good things? Because you were, and you're a pastor, man, you're encouraging, you're loving. How much did you find your identity had gotten out of maybe Christ and gotten into performance and doing what you were doing?
1: yeah you know it's it's fascinating because you will live with integrity to where you find your identity mm, so if you' mm. if if your identity is like has you know seventy five percent shame you'll live with integrity and see the world through shame you'll you'll propagate shame or judgment or self condemnation or performance and again, just part of what I think allowed me to kind of excel so rapidly was I transferred how I was as an athlete to the local church and I worked. I, you know, I, I, I ran the scout team for Cal State Fullerton. I cut film. So then, then all of a sudden you're watching teaching and I'm like, I'm rewinding, watching, cutting. Oh, this actually worked in the room. Like I, I could see that I, I took and transferred what worked. The problem was, and I didn't, I didn't know this was, when I started at Willow, my first week on the job, I got brought into succession conversations. I didn't go there for a succession. I went there to learn from, from Bill Hybels, not to be his heir apparent. So, so all of a sudden, what ended up like going to grow and be mentored became almost, as my wife says, running for office. Mm. And it was a pressure cooker. And part of it brought out the best in me and a lot of it brought out the worst in me yeah, yeah. In, in, in the sense of like, Oh my goodness. Like I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't do a good job of that. Teach like that affected my chances. So I couldn't rest in my identity that like, Oh, well that doesn't work then you're going to be fine. It was like, Oh no, I'm going to fail. Oh no, I'm going to let Bill down. Oh no, I'm going to let the church down. Oh no, like he's given me so much opportunity. And it was all of that tape that I had to let die. Mm. And and um, and what's so beautiful is, you know, I was telling you a little bit earlier, Mike, that, you know, during COVID, we bought a little cabin up in the mountains and we had been just, kind of i mean good good bones i honestly didn't see the vision my wife did um which is pretty much true of our whole marriage but like (laughs) uh she was like this this is gonna be awesome i mean like drop down ceilings it was like an a-frame like loft but like she saw like what it could be and i was like this teal carpet what are we doing like and then what then all of a sudden she's seeing a vision and i'm seeing price tags and i'm like we don't have the money for this what are we so she's like she's like let's demo it and i take down these drop down ceilings and there were these windows that were blocked Mm. like you couldn't you couldn't see because of the drop down ceiling and all of a sudden this new natural light starts to come in And we take down these walls, we open it up. And it was like the Holy Spirit whispered and said, Steve, this is what I want to do in you. Mm -hmm. I want to let more light and open open you up. And this remodel, this interior remodel with great bones on the outside um, has been what God has been doing in me that Mm -hmm. um, I I, I think is going to allow me to finish the race well. But not just like, not just finish the race, but like finish it like thriving, That's and healthy and like with wellness, mm-hmm. mental health and emotional health and spiritual vitality, and um, not trying to to prove. I have this this phrase, my a buddy of mine, T.J. Addington, uh, who's a pastor out here in uh, Chicagoland. I was talking to him about John 10:10. And talking about a life anchored in Jesus. And and he just rattled off this phrase that has become like my anthem for the last year. It just says a life anchored in Jesus is one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose and nothing to hide. And for the athlete in me, I don't got to prove anything. Like I, I'm, I'm Christ beloved. I got nothing to lose because with Christ and with grace and with the kingdom of God, I have it all. And I got nothing to hide. Like I'm, I am a, a work in progress, like film doesn't lie. <laughs> yep. I got areas to grow in my life, my preaching, definitely with my jump shot. I I, I have areas <laughs> that yep. I don't need to try and manage because um, if Jesus cared about his reputation, he would have never left heaven. And what I just need to be is honest and human, expectant, dependent on Christ and let the good sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit do its thing
0: and let's just have fun doing it. I love that. And man, the book is so good. And we'll have links in our show notes to the book. It is just, I've got three pages of notes just on the book. We won't even get into, (laughs) but man, I want to tell you just as a, as a, as a watcher, how about that from a distance? um, You got bruised and coming out of the locker room at halftime, coming out for the third quarter, probably wasn't a lot of fun. And staying in the game wasn't a lot of fun. I remember hearing a story years ago about a, in the Olympics, when a kid went to uh, represent his country to run uh, one of the, uh, the pentathlon. And everybody had cleared, he had fallen in the journey and everybody had cleared the stadium, but the keepers of the times and all that. And he crossed the line and they asked him, they said, why didn't you quit? And his line was, my country didn't send me here to win the race. They sent me here to finish the race. And man, you're finishing well. And I'm really proud of you. What do you, what, you've you've alluded to this a little bit. What do you want your kids to feel about the church and the bride of Christ as you're raising them? You're, you still speak in churches all the time and serve in a church. What do you want your kids and your wife to, to feel when they walk through the doors of a church what do you want them to feel about the church what would you say well you know i think i think that's been one of the
1: pieces that we've had to you know deconstruct in some ways you know and deconstruct it i know gets a gets funny for for some people but i just i think we had to almost like we did with that little cabin was bring it back to its studs and, and 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 what's the point you know um Oftentimes people are like, Man, the church really hurts you, Steve. I'm like, Oh, the church didn't hurt me. Five people did. That's good. It was just it's five people. And and so five people I think chose not to have integrity when it when it mattered. Yep. Five people. And I try to have empathy. And um, sometimes it's it's easier to have empathy than other days, but like. Five people, That's they represented the church, yep. but they're not the church. So, so I think for, for us, I'm really trying to help my kids understand Willow didn't do this to us, mm. five people did, okay? So I don't like name those five people to my kids, but I just say, hey, what you have to understand, and then I try to make it really, really practical, is a lot of this is Spider-Man theology. With great power comes great responsibility. And when you represent something, you have a power and how you choose to use that power, yield that power, be responsible, irresponsible with that power will either create opportunities for health and wholeness and greatness, or it leaves a wake. Yep. It, it creates collateral damage. Like, and, and I'll stop them and I'll say, guys, we had to move. Yep. You didn't do that. Like, like the like the old lady who showed up at 9 a.m. service and worshiped in the seventh row. She didn't cause this. Yep. What, what caused it was five people. So you so never minimize the power of your choices. That's good. Deuteronomy 30. I said before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Every choice matters. So so in that. So I I try to talk about that. So, second thing I, I just try and say is like the beauty of church isn't programs and fog machines. Mm. The beauty of church is broken and beautiful people who are honest and human with how much they need a savior and how they are choosing to show up. That's that's why when you go to AA, you're like that, that level of vulnerability. And, and I said that that's, that's the kind of people we want to be. Is not, again, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Like the kind of people who, see, oftentimes in the church, we we teach people, admit that you're wrong and say yes to grace. And then the problem is, is they say yes to grace and now they're right. And they never admit that they're wrong. And the the beauty is, is when you say yes to grace, you're just getting started admitting where you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's in that work where, weak becomes the new strong and somehow you're like yeah man i'm i'm arrogant yeah like i have these issues with with pride yeah you know what like i i'm a little too selfish yeah i I struggle with self-control yeah like that that is when you have great brothers and sisters to chop it up about that i mean that's that's when like the church and christ is magnified um if it, when it's not that, it's a, it, it can easily drift to be an event. Yep. It can easily drift to be a, a book tour. It can easily drift to um, be the temple rather than be um, a place where the spirit is convicting, inspiring, challenging, correcting, teaching, training, rebuking, and helping us like soak in heaven's breath for for what our lives can be in Christ and for Christ and with Christ and through Christ. So that's the stuff. And then lastly, I would just tell, I was, you know, I always just tell my kids, like the big question, did you have integrity today? That's good. That's it's, it's it. It's at the end of the day, did we say what we mean and mean what we say? Did we choose the harder right or the lesser wrong? Did we show up and actually speak on behalf of the, of the, the less than's, or the the marginalized, or or the people that that matter so much to Christ, and do we point people to the kingdom values, to the way of Jesus, and to what grace, truth, and peace is all about? That's integrity. That's what I want for me.
0: I'm far from it, but that's what I want for me, and it's desperately what I want for my kids. You know, as we wrap with this final question today, Steve, uh, there's a there's a verse that sort of inspired all the stuff we work on on spiritual leadership. You know, the Bible says in Acts, David served his purpose in his generation, and then he was done. This great king, this great warrior, the the guy of goods and bads and highs and lows gets to the end of it all, and God says that about David, that he served his purpose. He did what I called him to do. What do you think is the purpose God created Steve Carter for? That he is looking at your life going, this is why I put him on this earth. What would you say? It's beautiful. That's a great question. I've never
1: been asked that. Um, I think two thoughts come to my mind: is you know the Ten Commandments when it says honor your father and mother. Typically, we 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 see that as just do what they say. You know, follow, be obedient. But in the Jewish mindset, to honor your father and mother meant to take it farther. Mm. It's like a like a you're handed this baton. And they might not have had the emotional intelligence or the spiritual wherewithal or the financial um, or some other, you know, addictions. You've taken it farther. And I always tell my friends, like when people ask me, are you going to be a good parent? How do you know you're a good parent? I'm like, I'm a good parent when my kids go to counseling for different reasons than I go. uh, Because I didn't didn't pass something down that was handed to me. Mm. So in one sense, that's the work. Is that I I I'm going to give my kids something. I just don't want it to be what was given to me. The second thing I think for me is I think God has um, put me in a season within the local church where there's a there's a holy shakeup that is happening for better, really honestly for better. And a few years ago, I got invited to be with uh, Pope Francis and so i i flew out to the vatican with some friends and um i bought him a cubs jersey because i didn't know what to bring the bring the pope uh <laughs> and i brought him a chris bryant because uh pope francis was a jesuit and he went to a, you know jesuit school university of san diego of Anyways, he's gotta yeah, love yeah, it. he's gotta you know <laughs> but uh but the night before i sat with his his social media director which is funny and i the social media director who's a catholic historian he's like any any questions you all have about the church catholic church and the guys there they're they're some of our other pastors leaders they didn't, they didn't really have any and i'm like i i got one like and this before i knew anything about bill or any of the, of the other stuff but i said hey in your in your role you have a whole bunch of like in the in the history of the popes you have like these guys who carried the role of, and title of pope that weren't great like pope borgia like not a great dude had kids like like bought the role, how how do you tell the story of the Catholic church without just trying to like not let anybody see what, what Borgia and other not so helpful popes did? And his answer, I think answers your question. It stood out to me. He said, we can't deny what Borgia brought. We can't deny, and he rattled off a few other ones. But I'll tell you this, what they showed was where we had missed the point and the plot of where God wanted to take our church and out of that pain and out of that brokenness and out of that lack of holiness, a new order was started. So when you think of like the Jesuit order, it started out of the Borgia regime. And, and I just feel like for me, um, God has just given me a little bit of a a seat and uh, and it's a small seat at a very long table with a lot of wiser, more humble, healthy leaders than me. But a seat to say, we need to get back to character. We need to get back to, are we who we say we are? Are we doing the hard work? And preach out of that broken place rather than preaching from a place of financial power political power, religious power, civil power um, and and actually start to speak from a place of resurrection power and that's that's what I'm trying to do for uh, every weekend I teach and as I as I leave a church no matter if I'm in Houston or Denver or Chicago or Phoenix or wherever as I walk to my car or to an Uber leaving that church I always say I'm one weekend closer to finishing well and that's the goal that's the goal
0: You know, the one thing I took out of that conversation with Steve, and I learned so much, but one of my takeaways was just humility. Steve just comes across with incredible humility. He's achieved a ton. He's accomplished a ton in the world that I live in. He's a gold standard guy. But I tell you what, man, you would never know it by the way he uh, intentionally uses his influence to bless other people. And Steve, his book thing beneath the thing is so good. And it is going to be so valuable for you to pick up for you and your teams. And I tell you what, man, it just, uh, knowing people like Steve, you just leave a little better after you've met him. And I just can't say thank you enough to him for joining us today. And I do hope you'll pick up the book and also listen to his podcast, Crafting Character. It is so, so good. Well, our next episode, we continue in the line of author, pastor, leader. We sit down with Clay Scroggins, and we're going to talk about what every leader needs to know and some principles about principles out of his newest book on aspiring leaders. It is going to be a good one. Well, if you've enjoyed this, I hope you'll push pause, go leave a rating and review on iTunes. It helps others find their way to us. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Now go be the leaders that you were created to be in the spaces and the places that God has put you. Have a great day, everybody.